Yes, I love it. What the heck? You're supposed to have them green. What's up, man? I'm Jason. Uh, how are you, Jason? Hey, good to see you. You're good. I'll be the one with the green beer. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right. Hello again, everybody. Uh, we are uh, coming to you today talking once again about coronavirus. It is dominating the conversation here on the airwaves. It's dominating conversations in households and schools, businesses, you name it. Uh, and the information is just coming at light speed, Jason. Yeah, it, it totally is. But this this podcast is going to be more about the economic impact of this we're not talking about what you can do you know what you can do wash your hands stay away from people social distancing that's all over the place yeah this is going to talk about the real folks who are impacted by what's happening by these closures and you know what's happening with your own money if you've checked your 401k which i mistakenly did the other day want to do that man it is not good right now and it's been a really really rough time uh, you know interesting thing and i and i saw this in market watch i i keep up with them a lot and they had a quote in there and it just really struck me because you keep thinking how much further is this going to fall the quote is a bottom won't be reached until investors lose all hope wow think about that let yeah. that sink in yeah. So you know, I don't want to let that. The sink little bit in, of man. hope that they have left keeps it from diving even further. But it's not clear that they've lost all hope yet. So it's not clear that we're at the bottom of this. Meantime, life is being affected now. We and, and you know we 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 knew this would happen, uh, but it's happening rapidly here. I mean, we've got the NBA suspending its season. We've got the Major League Baseball pushing off its season. Major League Hockey is also affected here. We've got schools that are uh, you know either. Uh, postponing or adding uh, you know some weeks to spring break uh, we've got businesses that are starting to talk about layoffs you have south by southwest that closed before it even began the huge. houston rodeo huge that was what halfway through a third of the way through and, and, and it called it off and then in dallas also well i mean new york before we get to dallas new york broadway shows yeah. canceled ncaa tournament is in peril yeah. here because the smaller tournaments leading into it are are shutting down march madness and then right here in dallas we're seeing, you know, another beloved tradition that's going to be canceled this year, that has been canceled this year. And the city of Dallas says they had to do this because it, this brings 125,000 people shoulder to shoulder for St. Patrick's Day, the big St. Patrick's Day yeah. parade. And they said, we just can't risk having such a big group together when we know we've got a virus that's moving around and it spreads easily and it spreads quickly. And you may hear the traffic behind us. We are outside on Lowest Greenville at the Greenville Avenue Pizza Company. We're with Sammy Mandel. He's the owner of the place. He's also, uh, t- tell me again, you're also the, the president of the Green- Lowest Greenville Collective. The Lowest Greenville Collective, which is the business association down here. We operate between uh, Belmont and Ross. Um, and uh, we've been in business, you know, as a business association for around, you know, four or five years. And we put on events and make yeah. sure that uh, people that join the collective, and there's a good hand, good handful of businesses down here that are a part of it, um, that we all kind of communicate together and make sure that we stay connected. And, and so, so I, uh, yeah, I bet everyone's talking about this. So if, if ever there was a time that a podcast needed a beer, it's this podcast here <laughs> talking about this. And he's having a green beer. That is correct. That's what you would have been serving uh, to, a, to so many people who would have been here for yes. the parade. Yeah. Sammy. Let's talk about the the, the trickle down of this, though, because, um, you know, we talk about South by Southwest shutting down the Houston Rodeo, all these things. It's more than just an event that is closing down, though. When you start thinking of all of the stakeholders involved in that event, all of the businesses that count on that event uh, and, and their employees and beyond and beyond and beyond it, it just keeps going. How big of a deal is this St. Patrick's Day parade to you and to other sure, businesses sure. down here? Yeah, it is. It is single-handedly, of course, our busiest day of the year. Really? Um, you know, of course, that makes this t- typically St. Patty's Day falls right around spring break. So, you know, the time that St. Patty's Day parade actually happens, it is a it is a wild show for an entire week. And then on that day, it's just it's it's an all day affair. I typically will work from 10 a.m. all the way to about 3, 4 a.m. because it's just that crazy. Um, but I will tell you that this part, Lowest Greenville, is not exactly part of the block party. The block right. party is really where a lot of the craziness does happen. Um, we get, you know, a ton of people that come down from the block party because the 
cages typically can only hold so many people. Yeah. Um, and to but, delay this out for yeah. people, so they have the parade in the morning. Correct. Then the block party begins after the parade. Correct. What, eight or ten blocks away from where the parade ends. Yes. And yes. That's, that's 100,000 people or so? And it's, the drinking started ton. in the morning, yeah. by the way, too. Oh, yeah. And by afternoon, you they have make all the their house way down parties. here to they, eat. They close, they close down Greenville Avenue. Yeah. So then the party continues down here it does. to places like your business. That is exactly correct. So down here on Lois Greenville, everybody just kind of just walks down in the droves of crowds. And and I will tell you all that, I mean, if you drive around in the morning and you see all the house parties that are happening, oh. you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I think those house parties are still going to be happening. And, yeah. and I, a lot of what I kind of feel is going to happen is that there's still people that were planning on celebrating that day, still planning on day drinking. And I think Lois Greenville is still an area that people are going to come. When we got the devastating news yesterday, um, you know, I have to tell you, you know, I know a lot of owners up the street that are part of that block party. And um, I feel really horrible for them because they're the ones that are, you've got that cluster of people that are right there that you're going to benefit from. And, you know, it's going to forecast the rest of your year potentially as far as money goes. Um, And I'll say that I do, I do think we're going to take a hit obviously, but I do think that Lois Greenville will still have a good number of people down here. Truck yard has their uh, fireman benefit that they do every year. So the bagpipers that play in uh, the parade will still be there uh, putting on a show. Um, And so there's still events to do down here. We're still going to be serving green beer. Um, so our, we're still going to be very festive and into it. Um, and I feel that with the surrounding neighbors that start drinking early that morning, I think those parties are still going to happen. Your, your fingers are crossed, though. You think this they is are. going to happen. How, how big of a hit do you think that you'll take down here? Ooh, just in per- my business alone. Wise. Yeah, percentage-wise. I mean, percentage-wise, we're going to lose, I'd say, 25% of what we expect to make on that day. Um, and this is your busiest day of the year. Busiest day of the year. And so now I'm hoping, and I'm being optimistic on this, that we're only going to see about a 10% loss. And I'm putting my faith in people just still wanting to come out. Looking for some luck of the Irish there. That is exactly correct. But but businesses, and, and we know this in the economy, businesses make plans based upon projections, based yeah, upon what they correct. think is going to be. And uh, the, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube on this one. I mean, a lot of these businesses have already laid out the money they've stocked up yep. they've they they've made their plans and now their income may not match what they thought it was going to be yeah correct. and this is the whole you know obviously this is a humanitarian issue first it's a health yes. issue first but this is why this has such an effect on the economy yeah because it's shutting down so many things yeah it, it's it's a real struggle for a lot of businesses for sure to try to figure out their way forward now yeah I agree. I agree. I mean, being in the pizza business uh, and being in the bar business, those are two of the areas, those are the two of the businesses that kind of tend to succeed in hard times. People are always eating right. pizza and they're always drinking beer or liquor. Um, You're like a barber, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, out, huh? And, you know, and I think that, I think that, you know, again, people are going to wake up that morning and still wanting to celebrate St. Patty's Day. Lois Greenville is going to be here to welcome those people and do what we can to accommodate them. Um, I do know for... I mean, we have been trying to get our hands on some hand sanitizer all day uh, to do our part. Um, I know that places like Truck Yard have already secured hand washing station or, you know, sanitizing stations. Um, and I think you're going to see more of that happen in restaurants, in businesses, and especially on that day, as long as we can get our hands on some hand sanitizer. <laughs> you, you mentioned Truck Yard a few times. It's right around the corner yes, correct. from Gapco here in Lois Greenville. Directly it's, behind a, us. it's a cool bar outside area. Yeah. And they have food trucks that, that pull in there. They had. Correct. I haven't been there in a while. Yeah, correct. They so they, they'll have them there in. that day as well. So getting back to what Jason asked, though, you, you clearly made plans for this. Are you concerned at the end of the day you're going to have too many kegs of green beer yes. that you're not going to be able to sell? We were literally just having a conversation about backing off the order. And I'm going to just tell you guys that we made the decision to not back off the order because we are looking at this as such a um, how, how horrible would it be to not be prepared? And then all of a sudden everybody does come out on that day and then we're not ready. And now not only do we lose that 25%, but maybe we might make up 10 and if we're not ready we won't make up that 10 and so we're going to do our best to try to take part of whatever we can to just try to make up as much of that 25% because I do believe there's going to be a good amount of people that are going to come out. As a business owner and, and, and just as a, a, a human being, how concerned are you about you know what we're in right now and there's so many unknowns? Yeah. How concerned are you going forward here? Um, as a business owner, pretty concerned. Um, you know, I definitely, you, know, you talked about projections. I mean, you know, this uh, 2020 has, in a 
sales wise been very strong um, and it's kind of crushing to see what this is see what's happening um, for my own business model uh, we have delivery and I think that there's a good chance that people will stop going out you know if it does get to that level um, and we're gonna be here to serve them still at their at their door um, I'm, I'm also one of those people where my business model is a little bit different. Not everybody has that opportunity um, in their business models. Um, fortunately, I do. But I know a lot of those businesses owners, and I know a lot of the people that, that you know, we're, we're also on Lois Greenville where th- this is a foot traffic area. If people do stop going out, uh, it will impact sales because people aren't going out. I'm hoping that we can get a grip and a handle on this thing before it escalates into another phase. Have you seen things tapering off just even in recent days as the news has really just started to come out like a fire hose, it seems like, with this? Honestly, I haven't. And I think a lot of the reason we haven't is because this is right around the time that you have a lot of spring break going on. Um, You know, you've got some people on spring break this week. You've got more coming out. You've got more coming out next week. Next week, week, yeah. And I really think we won't, as a business, you know, as a business district like this, I think we'll probably know in about two weeks. You said foot traffic. That was a skateboard traffic that just rolled past us here. <laughs> Fast, too. Hey, so you're president of the Lower Greenville Collective. Give me an idea. What are the other uh, members of the collective saying about this? Because not everyone has the business model you do, the delivery, sure. the pizza, the beer that, that might be a little more bear market proof. Are, are others around here? I see there's a closed store on one side and uh, you know, a, a bakery over here too. Are, are they nervous about this? Um, from from everybody that I've spoken to, it's surprisingly a lot of them have an optimistic look to the to what I'm kind of saying. Um, you know, yesterday when the news hit, you know, there was a couple of people that I spoke to, like, "What are you doing? What are you changing?" And you know, everybody kind of is like, uh, "We think people are still coming." Hmm. Um, you know. I, you know, as far as it goes, I think right now, because 2020 has been so good, I think it's just kind of that unsettling fear of we really, we won't, if this thing gets any worse, I think we all can expect it's going to change our middle business models for the rest of 2020. Are you scared? Uh, um, I'm disappointed. Well, not disappointed. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm shocked and I'm saddened that this has happened. Um, because the year has been so good so far. Um, but I think trying to treat this with the level that it's being treated, I think we have to take it serious, and and it looks like we are, and I think that that's good. But I hope that we can uh, we can recover, and I hope that we can see some people getting better and fighting this thing, and maybe that'll give us some optimism moving forward. And um, yeah, yeah, we, you know, it's kind of a we could definitely use some good news. Yeah, yeah it, it's. Our, Pretty depressing, I guess is kind of the word I was looking for. So you talked about the uh, Greenville Avenue Pizza Company, the place you own here. Are you doing anything different in your personal life? Are you not? Did you cancel a, a flight or a vacation anymore? Yeah, are, you, so, are you hoarding money? What are you doing? Well, then? I'm happy you asked that. So in the pizza world, we have what's called the International Pizza Expo. Yep. Um, we have been there. Uh, we let, let that been, helicopter pass yeah, us sure. here, man. Time to drink a beer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have a take swig of the beer while the, uh, yeah, the medical helicopter passes over us here. And while Jason Wheeler gets a Hawaiian pizza. Yes. I'm a Hawaiian, Hawaiian pizza kind of guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's a, is there a conference or something coming up for the Yeah, for the business, so, so, so uh, for the past seven years, uh, uh, GAPCO, you know, Greenville Avenue Pizza Company, uh, we attend uh, International Pizza Expo. A lot of people know who we are. We is that out of town or is that in? It's in, in Las Vegas. Okay. So it's in the convention center. Um, it was supposed to be taking place in about two weeks from now. And uh, we actually teach a couple classes there. Um and uh, it just got postponed. So now it is postponed to late June. And um, we're bummed because we've been shooting videos for this, getting ready for it. And like I said, we're teaching some classes. So we've been kind of prepping for Pizza Expo as we do every year. And, uh, but, you know, we, were, uh, we weren't exactly shocked. Um, but that's still going to happen. What, I guess the, the, my wife owns a small business too. Sure. And, and, you know, the thing that makes me nervous about all this is we don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. We don't know where any of the, you know, how, how long this is going to last. I'm just, just curious, you know, how, how worried are you about, are you saving differently? Or are you not traveling, not doing anything personally? You know, um, I, I, I don't know how to feel, you know, yet. I think you're still just, stoked about 2020 being a great year. It's been a great year. We're, we're actually, we just, we're working on a third location right now. That, look, I got all this really good news and then, all this stuff has started happening. And so I'm like, I've got so much good stuff, so much bad stuff. And uh, I'm kind of like in a just state of limbo where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to kind of 
focus on what we can do here. Try to stay positive. Try to stay optimistic. Pray that this thing doesn't get any worse and uh, really just hoping it doesn't. I mean, I, I think there's really not much more I can do. You know? Are you continuing on with the other location? Are you gonna we are. We are. Yeah, we're, we're going to con- continue to do what we need to do. And um, again, like I said, hope that this thing doesn't you know, yeah, get uh, even worse. Well, l- let me ask you this. I'm, while Wheeler's eating pizza over here. It's too hot. It's <laughs> nuclear hot, so I'm letting it cool. <laughs> you're, t- you're, you're too much. Um, just just overall lo- looking at this thing, if, if Ch- China kind of got beyond it in, within 60 to 90 days, yeah. if this lasts 90 days, that's going to hurt. It's going to sting a little bit, I guess. Yeah. But you, you feel confident enough you can get beyond it. I do. I mean, like with our with our model, I've been in business now for uh, uh, almost 13 years down here on Lois Greenville. So I've I've survived a recession, um, a number of competitors, uh, street construction. Uh, there I mean, was a I've lot had, of construction down here that yes. was tough, for, but it looks beautiful now. It looks beautiful now. Nice. You know, I dealt with a lot of uh, violence down here that was going bad. I've gone through the ringer, um, so I know I know my business can stand up to it. We've stood up to a lot of challenges in the past. Um, this one is interesting and different because it's not affecting just me; it's affecting so many. And right. I think that's you know when. Um, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, give me a call and be like, dude, the St. Paddy's Day Parade, how devastated are you? And I'm like, well, I'm, I, I am devastated. But honestly, um, it, it hasn't hit me as hard because I'm thinking about so many other people and so many other business owners, such as I'm good friends with a lot of the ones up that, that have the block party. The amount of volume that I do isn't anything what they do. And so I find myself like, man, you know, yes, I'm, I'm losing 25% of my business on that day. But I'm thinking about all those friends that I have, and I'm like, man, that that that's gonna hurt, you know. Yeah. And and so I think it's kind of just a, it's making me feel just kind of sympathetic to, to other owners that I know that, that are gonna go through a really rough time. I'm glad you're feeling optimistic, though. It's that's encouraging, yeah. and I think we need some more optimism in this. At least that, you know, at the end of the day, end of the day, the message is we're gonna get through this. Right. We're gonna survive. It might yeah. sting a little bit now for everyone. Well, we're going to get through this. I think that's just the, that's the question. How painful does it get? Uh, how bad does this get before we finally see that light at the end of the tunnel? Sammy, thanks for uh, doing this with us and for, yeah, for uh, having sure. us out here. Great, you, great patio. And you can yeah. always get the green beer here. I guess or you, you can, can get it now at least. And, uh, oh, and, well, the, and, and the special box. Went, went a trip to Ireland. Yeah, the cool pizza box here too. <laughs> All right, Sammy, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Perfect. Do you want to do a transition to Diane? You want to? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, all right. So let's. Do, yeah. You ready? Are you good? Are you good? I'm rolling. Yeah. Okay. I'm so. Um, do you want me? Do you want to start it? Yeah. Uh, How about I'll, I'll say a few things and you just go right into her and get, get to her fast. Let's. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. All right, so that's a micro look at how at least one business and one area of businesses in Dallas, Texas is handling this. But there's a lot of questions about retirement, about other businesses nationwide. How's the state handling this? How's the, how are the, the feds handling this? Even worldwide. Worldwide I mean, it's just, on it, this. It's a domino effect, you know, and, and all of those first dominoes have already fallen. And now we're seeing the next ones fall and we don't know how many more fall. You talk to a woman that I've heard on the radio for years. And she's it, my favorite. And she's she's fantastic. And the fact that you got her surprised me. So I'll buy this round of beers. You no one's more one. amazed than I am that she actually got back with me and said, yes, I'll do this. So you talked about we got the micro perspective here. She is what's known as a macro economist. So we're getting all the views here. Her name is Diane Swank. You may have heard of her before. She's out of Chicago. This woman is plugged into every corner of the world, and she knows exactly how things are interconnected and she's saying some things that are kind of dire here but not off base uh and 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 she really does get into a lot of this about how it's going to trickle down and affect all of us so she's uh, diane swank with uh, grant thornton and uh here's what she's saying about this so so you have been talking about this for for many months now has your thinking changed on this as we have actually started to go through this outbreak here in the United States are you do you feel more uneasy or is this sort of what you were expecting 
Unfortunately, the biggest shift came when um, we saw that China could no longer contain it, nor could it ramp up quickly to recoup losses that had lost to, due to quarantines and actual shutdown of entire cities in China. Once those um, two things happened and we saw the spread of it move globally, it was no longer contained and it became an economic pandemic before it became a health pandemic because it was affecting major economies across the world. We expect seven of the ten, top 10 largest economies in the first quarter to be flat to negative growth in the first quarter alone due to disruptions created by the coronavirus. And those disruptions are now accelerating and compounding as we move into the second quarter. The important issue for policymakers to look at is this is something that will eventually abate, but we need a bridge over these troubled waters or minimally life jackets so that no one falls um, into the waters or goes under at a time from such an external extraordinary shock. The idea is to stop this from mutating the pause in economic activity, which will cause people to lose jobs, will cause people to lose wages, People may not be able to make their rent. Companies that have a loan that were doing great may all of a sudden not be able to pay their loans. We need to bridge that economic activity so on the other side of this, lower interest rates and the stimulus that's provided can really seed um, a bigger rebound out of what's going to be a very troubled time. Diane, I think a lot of people have been in the past several days looking up at the carnage that they're seeing on Wall Street right now. And somewhere in the back of their minds, perhaps, they are thinking about you know, well, of course, in the front of their minds, they're thinking about what this might be doing to their investments and 401ks. But in the back of their mind, they might be thinking, is this possibly going to trickle down to me at work? Is it going to affect my job? Is it affecting my company? What is your perception right now as to what we might see as far as job losses go? Well, there's no question there's already job losses here um, in Chicago as conferences were canceled in the last week or so, the layoffs already have begun to mount. And so we're starting to see that also in the um, travel industry, the air industry, of course, um, flights are being canceled. Um, Furloughs is a nice name for layoffs are taking place. There um, are many companies offering paid sick leave, but the reality is a lot of people just aren't going to be needed at stores where people don't frequent them. We're not going to be opening stadiums now that would have been open and all the people that count on that to pay their bills and pay their rent. And we're talking about basic food and shelter now. So um, for people who are on salary pay and they can work remote, that's only about 30% of the population, although we may be testing the limits of that, you know, the ability to work remotely. My son's college was just closed as of spring break. He's not going to go back afterwards and they're going to teach remotely. I don't think all the teachers know how to do that yet. Um, but we'll figure out and test just how far we can do things remote. Do you think that this could start to uh, truly affect jobs that don't seem like they are touching the obvious things like the, the travel industry? Absolutely, because there will be disruptions at plants, manufacturing plants as well. As we try to, con- the reason we try to contain the virus, and this is very important, because people are like, "Well, don't do that if that causes economic losses." But the reality is, is that if we don't do that, what we risk is what Italy is going through is in an extreme situation where all of a sudden our hospitals get overwhelmed to the point that they can't even deal with well people and have to make very tough trade-off choices, which are just you know untenable and unimaginable in our economy, and we're just not. Pre- prepared for that kind of mass influx into the hospitals. Even if people get well, they still need um, about 16%, still need hospital stays. So this is a very highly contagious um, virus without, you know, although most people do survive, it still has about minimally 10 times the death rate of the flu at this point in time. That's important to know as well. So we have to take these con- these efforts to contain the um, spread of the virus, but those efforts alone do have economic consequences. And what we want to do is blunt those consequences so that at the other side of this, which there will be, we can pick up and resume instead of having sort of unnecessary losses. So you've talked about policymakers needing to construct this bridge over these troubled waters before we can get to a place where things are much better. What does that look like right now? Because, I mean, you know, some people, yes, they are still gainfully employed. They could benefit from something like uh, a payroll tax cut. Uh, But if you don't still have your job, you don't see a benefit from that. This is going to have to be a pretty wide ranging package, perhaps. Exactly. And actually, the payroll tax cuts, it's been um, uh, 
actually one of them that's been proposed taking it to zero for the rest of the year would be about 900 billion which is much larger than much more conservative and far-reaching programs that would have a bigger bang for the dollar are where they're actually talking about mailing checks to individuals so that they can pay rent if they lose their wages and i think what we need to do is think of what's the most effective way to do this um in a you know bang for the dollar way have provisions that go larger if they need to be have it put in place because we are going to need to bridge some of these things you know we're looking at you know paid sick leave but it's more than that it's people who lose their wages can we keep companies reimburse them for unemployment insurance and have them keep the wages going even as they lay workers off so that when they're those workers don't lose all of their pay how can we speed up all of this process of getting cash into people's hands who do not have a paycheck and then um, that's very important because that's where the losses mount the most and even if you have a tax cut you need to make rent and shelter payments this is you know we need to cover the very basics out there if you are on a payroll getting a payroll tax cut and you can't go out and travel and you can't go out and spend it out anyways it's not going to make any difference until the crisis is passed um, what makes a difference now is making sure that firms don't go under now the um, corporate reinvestment act which the federal reserve the OCC and the FDIC have opened the natural disaster clause on that which enables banks to um, waive late fees and renegotiate loans in the worst affected areas so that both firms and individuals that have bank loans that are affected by the coronavirus don't just go under sort of without any um, efforts to keep them afloat because if the business is going to come back this is something that we do know should abate this isn't a financial crisis in the way we usually think of it what we have to do is stop it from mutating into a financial crisis that may also require some form of bailouts as well um, the government is looking at that I think it's just important to think in terms of can we provide loans can we do things to industries to keep them from doing a lot of layoffs and keep them keeping workers paid at a time when we know this is going to come to an end and we don't want it to morph into something worse. Diane, we've been through bad times before. Uh, I think a lot of people can draw some similarities to what we saw following 9-11 and uh, during the Great Recession. Uh, and this feels, you, you can feel the panic there. You can feel the potential you know, economic suffering of a lot of people just like you felt with those. But is this one different? It is different. It's different in the nature of it being global in scope. Um, we had the world certainly come to our support during 9-11, but it wasn't attacks all over the world simultaneously at the same time. I think you really have to look at what's going on is global in scope. It requires global coordination of both cutting interest rates. No, they can't cure what ails us. They won't start factories that are idled or fix supply chains or force consumers who are forced to stay home to go out, but they will seed the ground for a better recovery later on. They'll also make it easier for those companies that um, are having trouble getting credit to get credit. We have to think about these things in a way it is a very different kind of disruption where it's a sort of this external shock that's hitting the entire globe simultaneously. You know, talking about, like I said, seven of the top 10 economies being flat to negative in the first quarter. That includes China, the first negative quarter in 30 years for China's economy. And China's the second largest economy in the world with tentacles in nearly every other economy in the world. And we have to think about that no matter how much my, my fear is that this forces us to close borders even more over the longer haul. But the reality is what we've seen in financial markets is it doesn't matter where you are. There is nowhere to hide. There is no island um, oasis from all of this. And I think it's very important to realize that we're all in this together and we can get through it best we got through the global financial crisis by putting our oars in the water together to get to some sort of semblance of solid ground out of turbulent waters we need to think of this similarly but with somewhat different tools so that because we know this will pass unlike the global financial crisis knowing that you want to build these bridges to a better period in time where you can seed the ground to recoup some of what we lose during this period diane you're the queen of metaphors and, and it makes it so much easier to to understand what we're going through here and what we could be going through here. Do you think we're in recession or will we dip into one? Um, I do think we will dip into a recession. It looks like we're about to tip into one, if not in the month of March into April. And um, that, you know, recession is, um, is, is there 
arbitrary carnage. Recessions are not good things. This is not an opportunity. I, I, I really get tired of people telling me it's one of the thing, hardest things as an economist because I became an economist because I watched my best friend slip into poverty after her father died and she didn't have enough money to buy food her junior year. Mm. Um, lunch and I brought money to have her buy lunch. Oh I saw firsthand what that meant. And that's why I became an economist because when I realized the economic train wreck that I grew up in Detroit, Michigan could have been avoided, um, that made me realize, you know, that this really isn't something that people choose. Um, and clearly this makes it all the more evident. Nobody chooses to get ill from this virus. Nobody chooses to have a virus, but this has taken the plot of a scary movie and made it very real. But um, the consequences are not good. And I get very angry when even a doctor said to me today, well, isn't this just an opportunity to buy? And I looked at him sort of dumbfounded because I would much rather not have opportunities to buy and have more people employed. Mm. This is humanitarian first. This is health first. This is an economic on down the line there, though. Um, do you think we see zero interest rates from the Fed? Will they slash to zero before this is said and done? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's no question. And, you know, no, it won't cure what ails us, but the Fed can do something on the margin. I think one of the things people forget, too, is they complain about the Fed. Um, they were forced to bear the burden of this expansion for far too long, not given a lot of fiscal stimulus. Actually, we were doing something called the sequester that was cutting spending at a time we needed it um, more. I think what's very important about what the Fed is doing, and give them credit for it, is here they've already invoked the um, Corporate Reinvestment Act clauses to ease up on banks and encourage them. We saw the Bank of England today, another bank, lay out a three-pronged plan, basically taking rates to zero, but also encouraging banks to do these short-term loans to help individuals and firms make it over this hump so that there's something left on the other side, because this is not what anyone chose. This is not just getting out the bad guys or weeding out things. This is just an indiscriminate carnage, um, in the, you know, hurting companies and firms that never would have been hurt in a different kind of an economy. So that's very important. And one of the things the Fed has been doing is providing liquidity for the overnight funding market. Nobody knows what that is until it matters. During the height of the financial crisis, firms unable to get funding on an overnight basis had to do layoffs immediately because they couldn't do, make payroll. It was one of the things that was an accelerant into the Great Recession and why the job losses were mounting so rapidly into the Great Recession just at the very moment, almost the second that Lehman failed. You saw this sharp acceleration in job losses. This is something the Fed is already doing, preventing you know things from getting too distorted in that overnight market by making sure it's flush and liquid and that firms can continue to borrow overnight without not being able to have someone on the other side willing to lend to them. Hopefully lessons have been learned there. And you're right, we don't pay attention to any of this stuff. Most of us don't know what any of it means until we start seeing mass layoffs like that. Uh, is that a glimmer of hope, though, if the Fed's cut rates to zero? Sometimes that has a way of trickling down. And, you know, may, might we see some people being able to rush to at least refinance at a much more uh, advantageous rate and at least have some kind of uh, hope out of this? Yeah, you know, and that's one of the silver linings is there's two things, and again, why we want this to be a bridge. On the lower mortgage rates, we've seen an absolute surge in mortgage restructuring, and it's really largely existing homeowners and baby boomers, to be honest with you, restructuring their debt to much cheaper rates. And so far, even as of January, the mortgage refinancing boom started back in July. And because baby boomers, because of their demographic, they're either in or close to retirement, they've been saving that. The saving rate went up to its highest rate before this crisis came out in January since April of the year before, nine months prior. And that's really important because it really underscores something we're also seeing out there that was unique in spending patterns. Usually when the stock market has a, 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 you know, a swoon like it did in December of 2018, if people still have jobs, they're doing well, they keep on spending because for most, the stock market is not the economy. Mm -hmm. And it isn't that important to people, but because Baby boomers are so close to retirement and that even what little they have in their 401ks matters so much to them. They reacted and they pulled back in the height of the holiday season of 2018 when we had the threat of a full-blown trade war. That pullback is what we worry about now in the reaction to this. But the good news is they have a cushion. They're setting themselves up. We have an ability for the housing market after it hits a pause button, when things stop, people won't be going out to open houses for a bit. But it's now poised to pick up quite dramatically on the other side of the 
is something we didn't have at the beginning of the expansion. Hmm. And all those people have locked and loaded into lower rates and more affordable. So some hope there. Two last things real quickly here. Uh, Number one, Texas has been the leading exporter in this country for much of this century now. Uh, Obviously, oil and gas is huge here uh, and airlines are huge here. We've got three major carriers based here in Texas, United Continental, uh, American and Southwest. We tend to think that we're so insulated here and we've diversified our economy here, but we're going to be feeling this just like anyone, especially with the hit to oil as well. Exactly. In Texas, this is really hard. The shale industry, um, the Russia and the Saudi Arabians having this price war now at this stage of the game. One of the things they're going after is the shale industry in the U.S. because they know how indebted the shale industry is. Um, much of the debt, over $300 billion of it, is just above investment grade. And that got hit hard on Monday as the price war unraveled. Um, the shale industry, the energy industry is being very hard hit. And then you have that double whammy of it hitting also the airline industry, which is suffering layoffs and needs to have a bridge. We need an airline industry. We can't have the airline industry go down because of this. And it's bigger than 9-11 because it's global in scope. And then there's that last issue that's also tech. And Texas has a lot of tech now and the technology sector has also been affected, especially by what's going on in China by the coronavirus. So, you know, there is no escaping this. We all feel it, but we all have to understand that this is something that was an external shock and we need to be able to have bridges so the other side of it we can pick up again and not decimate what's left you know for for no good reason really this is this is an external shock that dovetails into my very last question here diane i need you to pull out the crystal ball here and just tell us what is it going to take to turn this around and how long do you think it'll it'll be before this all shakes out and, and things start to look good again well, the hardest part is knowing when the virus itself will crest. Of course, the numbers are going to look much worse um, very rapidly because we're actually testing now. And so that's going to show up as a surge in um, actual positive tests when they're already out there. And so it you know, makes the panic work. So I always say there's a fine line between prudence and panic. And I like to stay on the side of prudence. And, you know, that's that's important. Our best guess right now is that the virus crests sometime by June and that we start to get into recovery phase in the second half of the year. But that's still a very hard pull on the recovery phase. And as the swine flu was, which I happen to have firsthand knowledge of because my family got the swine flu, including me, and we're official statistics in it. We got it in Germany in July of 2009. It didn't crest until the third quarter. And we're also at high risk for the coronavirus because my son is a severe asthmatic and I have Mm. severe asthma from being in the World Trade Center on 9-11. So, you know, we don't want to get sick. We're doing everything we can just to wash our hands and stay safe. But we don't know for sure yet if the virus will crest by the end of the second quarter. If the spread crests um, by the end of the second quarter, that would be fantastic. And that's one of the reasons why we're being so aggressive to try to contain the virus so that we can get it to crest sooner so that we can get back to the business of being doing business again. If not, we'll have a longer drawn out period that will take into 2021. And some losses, you know, if you don't buy um, a sweater in March, you're not going to buy it in April or May. Some losses are lost for good, but we'd like to at least do some stimulus so people are willing to kick up their heels a little bit on the other side of this. Okay, now you see why she is my favorite economist out there. I mean, Diane breaks it down in ways that no one else puts it you can easily understand it easily digestible she she's she's so smart and she shared a lot of personal stuff too yeah she did uh, and and it's really stunning too how she gets down into the details of how this could affect all of us and you know i, was, I saw a stat the other day that said that 42 percent of people in america uh, who you know when they did a survey 42 percent they think if they were affected in some way by coronavirus would need to borrow money to deal with the fallout from that. 42%. Think about that. That is tremendous. So like Diane was talking about, they're going to have to do something comprehensive here if they are going to help people out in a meaningful way. Uh, And one other thing, there's this uh, firm called Challenger Gray and Christmas. If you look that up, 
they track layoffs in this country and they are thinking that we're going to see layoffs like big layoffs come in four waves before this is said and done i wonder why four waves they say the first wave will be the companies that are reliant on supply chain because china just stopped and so much is reliant on that we've got two million shipping containers that are just sitting idle in china right now so people are not getting their parts the next one comes for those industries uh airline industries hotel uh things like that in the in the travel and, Travel and, related, yeah. Yeah, that's next. And then uh, eventually, though, they say it trickles down to, uh, you know, businesses where in-person things are needed because, you know, people are trying to keep that social distancing. And then lastly, they say it's ordinary companies, things that you would think would never be exposed to the coronavirus. But the companies have lost wow. so much money at that point, they say, that they have to start laying people off to try to staunch their losses. Well, I'm going to go with... Um Sammy Mandel's attitude here on Lower Greenville as we're sitting outside. Yeah. Trucks passing, traffic's going back and forth. He was optimistic this won't last long. I'm encouraged by it not lasting long in China. And the fundamentals, like Diana said, were, were, are, are strong in the country until yeah. this happened. Let, uh, let's get State Senator Nathan Johnson on the phone. He's a, a Democrat in Dallas, and he just got off of a conference call with the governor of Texas. The governor was apparently talking to lawmakers, kind of briefing them on the state response right now to what's going on. Hello, Jay. Hey, Senator, how are you? Very good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hey, so you just got off the phone. How did the uh, call go? Uh, it was informative. You know, uh, initially I was under the impression that the call was aimed at state legislators. Uh, while state legislators were certainly um, um, invited and encouraged to be on the call, it was, I think, more directed at city and county officials um, to make sure that efforts between local health officials and, and local representatives are coordinated at the, with the state efforts. Um, there will be a separate conversation on Monday with state legislators. Okay. I have um, my co-host, Jason Wheeler, on the call here with us, too. Hi, Senator. Thanks, for, thanks uh, for doing this with us. I know that this information is still fresh, as you just got it. Um, when, from what you're hearing on the call, I think a lot of people are wondering, are we prepared? Are we ready for this? Can we respond to this effectively? What is the feeling that you're getting right now here in Texas? Uh, because we have a lot of unknowns right now, but what's the feeling that you're getting as far as our preparation? Well, there, there's feelings from the phone call and then the, there's feelings outside the phone call. Okay. Tell um, us both. Yeah. <laughs> outside the phone call, there's just not a lot of uh, consistency. Uh, I think a lot of people are feeling panicked and unprepared. Uh, that we're not going to be able to stand up to this. I think other people think it's no big deal. I think most people recognize that it's very, very serious, uh, but we we are going to be okay. We don't need to stock up on all the paper goods you can buy from Costco. Uh, supply lines are not going to be cut, but this is a serious threat to people's health. What And, and people, I think, mostly want to know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to ensure that I protect my own health, not jeopardize the health of others? And I think people are also concerned that the social distancing kind of measures are going to have a, a really serious harmful impact on uh, not just our economies, but on families. So transitioning from there into the phone call, uh, some of the things we addressed on the call were some of those very specific concerns. Uh, and, and there were some there were some notes on the phone call that were uh, more reassuring and some that were less. Um, for example, if I should keep rambling or should I wait for another no, question? Keep, no, keep, no, keep rambling because I was going to ask you, you know, give us some examples of this. We like those yeah, examples. Here's, here's one of the things that uh, was a serious concern to a lot of people who are, are being thoughtful um, about our kids. Uh, kids aren't the most uh, vulnerable population to this virus. In fact, they're remarkably uh, resistant to this virus. Uh, of course, they transmit it to others. Uh, so we don't want kids being exposed either. Um, so the prospect of closing public schools is one that scares a lot of people. Um, one of the reasons is we have a large number, thousands and thousands of kids in Texas um, get most of their nutrition from meals served at school. Uh, and they may not get food when they go home. Um, the uh, commissioner of the Texas Education Agency, Mike Morath, was on the call. Um, and he let people know that they are working with the federal government uh, as well as um, support, networks, support networks in the state uh, to try to be able to have literally food delivery or food service um, available to kids who are relying on food in schools as schools close. 
so people are thinking ahead, trying to address those concerns. Another concern with respect to schools, um, are school districts going to be uh, experience a cut in state funding because they shut down uh, and flunk the minimum average daily attendance requirements that's necessary to get state funding? Uh, and they've already worked on a plan for that. So long as the schools are providing some sort of in-home instructions, it could be you know high tech, uh, uh, online broadcast, but more likely it can be low tech. It can be physical homework packets with uh, coordinated phone calls, Skype, things like that. So we do have people thinking about uh, how to deal with this in a practical way uh, in various areas. That's uh, this is good to know. All of this is really good information because it's you know you bring this stuff up and you are hearing this from regular everyday people. Like, well, if this happens, then what's going to happen next because of that? Uh, I want to ask you about the federal government too, though. How much right now is the state sort of on standby, waiting to see? Because you know we got a lot of people you know who are worried about whether they would be able to handle this financially. Uh, some people already taking some pretty amazing hits. We've had layoffs already uh, related to coronavirus. And of course, you know, people's 401ks are just getting hit tremendously. Uh, and this is just the beginning here. How much are we waiting to see what the federal government comes up with in terms of relief? Well, I think we're 100% waiting. And, and you're absolutely right. I am hearing about people's concerns. Uh, you know, Stadiums are right where sport, the whole sports season, the whole NBA season has been canceled. There's a lot of people who have jobs there, uh, and it's going to cause great financial damage. And let me tell you something that's bad for public health unemployment. Um, you know, the, the uh, federal government has outlined a few ideas, including payroll tax forgiveness. I think uh, perhaps more promising is some. Uh, small business loans that would allow businesses to stay afloat, uh, maybe some modifications in payment deadlines for businesses that are, are carrying debt. Um, uh, one of the more interesting things was uh, the federal government is talking about having uh, tax credits for employers that offer paid sick leave, particularly for quarantined workers or sick workers who have to, to miss work. Um, and that is critically important because a, a huge percentage of American workers um, do not have any, any kind of paid sick leave that would allow them to stay afloat. Uh, particularly in service industries where you really do want them to stay home because they're the kind of people that can transmit the virus on an exponential level. Yeah. Senator, do you think there's going to be any statewide economic stimulus that goes out? I've not heard of one yet. Obviously, we don't know how, how... you know, much worse this is going to get if it gets worse, you know, fingers crossed that it doesn't, but it just, it seems like there's a deluge of, of closures and of precautions that are happening every day, which is probably the right thing to do, but the economic impact's a big question. What do you think we're looking at in this state? Has anyone forecast or predicted what it might cost the state, what the coronavirus could cost Texas? No, I I haven't seen any numbers. I'll tell you what is uh, both concerning and reassuring. Um, most healthcare and, and a lot of the healthcare costs are going to be borne at a local level. Um, the, the expenses of taking care of people are going to be borne at the local level. The collapse of certain industries is going to be felt at the local level. So one of the subjects that came up during uh, the conversation with the governor was the tax caps that were imposed on cities by the legislature last session, the uh, 3.5% revenue cap. Um, would we be able to suspend that? Uh, if a city is going to have to uh, do some of its own stimulus, right, or or some reimbursement of healthcare expenses, um, that's something that is is essentially within the, the governor's power to uh, declare emergency or disaster, so that the tax revenue caps wouldn't apply. On at the same time, uh, cities, municipalities would have the option to go to their voters to say, do we want to pay another uh, penny or two on your taxes and kind of uh, create some financial stimulus programs uh, and help and loans uh, for businesses affected by this? Well, let me ask you about that, because the caps were put in place, as you know, to slow down the insane property taxes in the state. So right. if, if the caps are removed and let's say Harris County, Bear County, Travis, Dallas, Tarrant County, if they decide to, you know, because the governor removes the cap, you raise 
you know, taxes, what, 5% in a year, that's going to hit me, isn't it, as a, as a property owner? Yeah, it, it's a great question. Um, the way the uh, – there, there was a good escape hatch in the statute, and that is you would have the tax cap go away only until the city's tax base comes back up and, and meets specific needs. Um, and, and it could also be handled on an election basis where the city asks the voters, do you want to suspend this for one year? Right, so that you're not opening the door to your taxes running away for the next decade. You're simply saying, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to contribute to my city rebuilding this year. And asking the voters, I think, was one of the original ideas. If, if they, if cities decided they wanted to go over three and a half percent, they had to go to the voters and ask that. So the, the cap had a uh, an escape hatch, as you said. It did. What I'm hearing there is that we're all at some point going to to feel the pain uh, because of all of this. Senator, can you tell us just behind the scenes a little bit right now, what is it like? How much are people meeting about this in state government right now? How much of the conversation has turned to this? How aggressive is the state government being behind the scenes right now to get ready for this? You know, it's it's all consuming, to be honest, I think at every level. Um it's consuming a great deal of my time. I know I've talked with my colleagues in the Senate. They are all spending a lot of time on figuring out what's within our power, what isn't, what do we need to communicate to our constituents. I know that the Department of State Health Services, uh, John Hellerstadt, the commissioner of DSHS, was on the phone call. They're working very hard to make sure that local health authorities have the resources that they need. Could we hit a point where uh, demand for resources outstrips uh, the state's resources? Absolutely, we could. Uh, we hope that we don't. Uh, but in turn, the state is partnering with the federal government. Uh, the federal government has now started to revise guidelines. I mean, here's, here's an example. Let's suppose we can't scale up and get the equipment. Uh, it's called personal protective equipment that health officials need. Yeah. And we just can't get enough fast enough. We have old guidelines on expiring protective personal equipment or personal protective equipment, when you should throw it away. And they're revising that. You know what? Don't throw it away. It's not as good as it was yesterday, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. So we're, we're going to improvise to some extent. S- Senator, we've seen a lot of the headlines and the news releases come out from Austin talking about all the testing centers in Texas, which is fantastic. And I believe Dallas had the very first testing center for coronavirus. What I haven't been able to nail down as clearly until you and I spoke via email the other day is the actual tests that are being tested at the testing centers. How many of those exist? Because there's a big concern, as you probably know, that, well, our numbers are low because we haven't been able to test as many people as we probably should. Do these tests exist? Yes, and and that really is probably the the issue that people are more interested in than anything, any single other issue. Who's going to get tested? How? How much does it cost? When? How many can we get done? Can we do it the way Korea does, where we've got drive-through tests and we're testing ten thousand a day? Uh, the answer is there are there are right now more tests available than we have demand for it. Um, but that could change rather suddenly. We now have 10 lab centers around the state that can run, uh, I believe, up to between five and 700 tests per day. Um, we have lab kits, places that can have, I think it was 300, and I hope I get my numbers right and I don't have this backwards, uh, but they can take about 350 to 500 samples um, and send them around to these test centers and they can process them. Right now, we don't have that level of demand. Uh, but but it could outstrip that. And no, we do not have the capacity presently to run many, many, many thousands of tests per day as people would – some people would like to have kind of a broad sampling of the population. Yeah, okay, who's gotten this virus? Yeah, who's, got, who's already had this virus and gotten better? So that might make us less concerned about the lethality of the thing or it might make us more concerned about the transmissibility of the thing. We don't have the resources to do that right now. The way it's being run is if you – are feeling bad and you suspect you may have a problem, you need to go see a primary care physician. And that physician will ask you questions and evaluate whether you are the kind of person who is you know, reasonably likely to have been exposed to the coronavirus. You then can take a swab right there at that primary care physician site or an emergency department or a local clinic. They then send it to one of these labs. The lab tests it. Uh, costs are likely to be covered for anybody who's got uh, health insurance. But as you know, not everyone in Texas has health insurance. Yeah. And that's an issue, right? L- let me ask you this, this last thing. You've been on these calls with state officials, of which you are one, 
Um, but you're dealing with facts a lot, and you're, you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. Uh, how concerned are you, or are you at all, about all of this? I'm, I'm concerned uh, about two things. I've I've got friends. I've got I've got relatives who are elderly, and this is very scary to them. I've got friends who have um, uh, compromised immune systems, and I'm concerned for them. Um, but I'm also concerned about the damage it's causing uh, on an economic level, because I know that that's it's it's not just a question of eliminating frivolities. This is survival for some people. Yeah. So I'm I'm pretty concerned about it. At the same time. Um, Everybody's taking this very, very seriously right now. Um, I think I'm an optimist by nature. I think we are going to be able to uh, contain this. I think there's going to be fatalities and there's going to be economic damage. Uh, but, but I am impressed that the state is taking it very seriously. Uh, I hope the federal government uh, ramps up its uh, efforts at this and things get a little bit more effective perhaps uh, than they have been or currently are. Um, I'm not panicked, and I think that's the message I want to I want to send to to everybody. Uh, panic is going to be counterproductive. Planning and preparedness; those are the things we need to do. But when you're saying planning and preparedness, I shouldn't go to the Sam's Club about a half block away from here and stock up on all the toilet paper, right? I, I really don't. Th- I think that's when we get to counterproductive. Right? All right, we're yeah, not, not shutting helpful. off. <laughs> but but people are doing it, and, yeah. and that that can cause its own set of problems. Yeah, and you also don't have to not. Uh, go see your neighbor next door, right? This is not everybody in the city is infected. In fact, social isolation is bad for your health. It compromises your immune system. Uh, Stay out of concerts. So, right, don't panic. Don't don't be greedy and make sure you survive. We're not in the dark ages here. Yeah. Uh, be reasonable. And if you're checking on but your do neighbor, plan. and if you're checking on your neighbor, just put six feet or so of distance between the two of you, but you can still talk to them. <laughs> six feet of distance. Also, if, if you've got, if you've got kids and schools are going to be canceled, start making plans, start talking to your employer. Uh, how am I going to arrange a work schedule from home or different hours so that I can take care of my family? Gotcha. Uh, talk to your friends, organize carpools, figure out if you're an employer, what kind of paid sick leave are, plan are you going to have? Are you going to have one at all? Um, uh, uh, what's, uh, gonna, what's it going to require to keep your doors open? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are talking about this. Uh, this is State Senator Nathan Johnson, a Dallas Democrat. Thanks for the time. Thanks for the insight and the expertise. Thanks very much for the opportunity to talk with you. This is, we've heard all, all aspects here. We've heard from a state lawmaker yeah. right there who got off the phone with the, the state officials. We heard from a macro um, economist. Uh, economist who is, you know, has been through something similar to this, who gets the bigger picture of it. And then we heard from the micro level, from the owner of the Greenville Avenue Pizza Company, uh, of which we're still sitting on the patio on Lower Greenville in Dallas, Texas, a mm-hmm. uh, happening little district out here, and you can hear the traffic behind us. It's fascinating to hear all three. I'll tell you the theme, Jason, that I heard, though, is there's no one panicked. Yeah. No one is in a panic mode. And I think that's what people should carry through. I, frankly, I'm, I'm not that concerned about this virus. I'm just not. I mean, I try to keep clean. I don't touch my face. I wipe down my steering wheel and my door handle and my car, stuff like that. But I'm also a little a little concerned about people overreacting to this and, you know, what's happening to the economy. You know, my takeaway from listening to all three, and they come from totally different walks of life and different perspectives, and they're in different worlds right now looking at this. And all three of them, like you said, didn't seem to be in panic. They all were saying that, you know, eventually this will come to an end. Uh, but I also take away from all of them that they all have a great deal of uncertainty right now, as all of us do. They don't know how bad this gets before it gets better. And so I think that I take that away from this as well. And I don't know, maybe I touch my face a lot more than you do, probably. I've actually become more concerned about this in, in recent days. And I swear, if I have one more person try to shake my hand, it's constant. Even no matter how much the news is coming out, People keep on reaching their hand out. Would you stop shaking my hand? When uh, the owner of the Greenville, Sammy Mandel, came out here a few moments ago, um, 
I shook his hand. You did the elbow. I, I did the elbow greeting. thing only because like people keep doing it, and I just keep thinking, you know what? I, I touch my face more than Jason Whiteley does. I can't afford to do this. But I sneeze into my elbow. I don't sneeze into my hand. That's the difference. Oh well, see, yeah, then you can't do that elbow bump thing. That's just gross. Hey, what what are you doing differently though, Jason? In all this, I will Anything? tell you. I I'm I'm telling you. I've I've gotten to the point where I'm, and, and I've never been a big germaphobe or anything like that. But I have gotten to where I will not. I, I don't want to shake somebody's hand anymore and I never thought about that before uh, so much and I have also been washing my hands like a maniac like to the point where you know I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm doing it a little too much but I guess better to err on that side of it like I just I I, I, I mean I washed my hands before but nothing like this I've thought oh and one last thing yeah. I did and I'm not making any suggestions for anybody out there especially now uh, because we are so far down the pipeline I dumped every stock that I owned uh, several weeks ago because this stock market was ignoring what was happening in China. But you did that before it really hit the U.S., before Bef all the stuff happened I did here, it right? before it just melted down. And I didn't want to give that advice to anybody else because you never know if you're going to be right. But I dumped all that stuff out. Now, if I had kept all of that in there, I would probably just sit with it for now and just wait for it to all come back, which it will someday. But yeah, I had to get out of that because we ignored the, this stock market ignored what was happening in China. It did. It had one really bad day, but it looked the other way, and you could tell this thing was gaining a critical mass there. I, I'm an amateur investor, and I wrote so am it, I. I wrote it all the way down, but I'm still in it, and I think this is this presents uh, this presents a buying opportunity for a lot of people. It will. Back to the hand washing, washing my hands 25 times a day in, in the in the sink at the uh, television station. I've often thought, what in the heck is the water bill going to be? Oh, my goodness. How high is that damn and thing And the paper be? towel bill. I've used more paper towels in the past couple of weeks than I have probably oh, used in months. It, it's crazy. I, I, I'm curious to see how it's going to unfold. I'm, I'm not panicking. I'm continuing my life as normal. I'm not, I haven't stopped going out to eat. I'm, I'm still doing this stuff. If something changes, I may, I, I may reconsider, but uh, I, I'm, I'm continuing on everybody out there who's listening to this just you know take those precautions that they're asking you to take right now uh be careful you know we wish you the best health wise and uh thanks for listening to us and let us know what you think about the podcast leave us a comment on there whether you like it or don't Pref deal. preferably if you like it though <laughs> thanks for listening guys take care